Section 48 of The Valley of the Moon by Jack London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book 3, Chapter 13. The winter proved much less exciting than the one spent in Carmel, and keenly as Saxon had appreciated the Carmel folk, she now appreciated them more keenly than ever. In Ukiah, she formed nothing more than superficial acquaintances. Here people were more like those of the working class she had known in Oakland, or else they were merely wealthy and herded together in automobiles. There was no democratic artistic colony that pursued fellowship disregardful of the caste of wealth. Yet it was a more enjoyable winter than any she had spent in Oakland. Billy had failed to get regular employment, so she saw much of him, and they lived a prosperous and happy hand-to-mouth existence in the tiny cottage they rented. As extra man at the biggest livery stable, Billy's spare time was so great that he drifted into horse trading. It was hazardous, and more than once he was broke, but the table never wanted for the best of steak and coffee, nor did they stint themselves for clothes. Then blamed farmers, I gotta pass it to him, Billy grinned one day, when he had been particularly bested in a horse deal. They won't tear under the wings, the sons of guns. In the summer they take in boarders, and in the winter they make a good living doing each other up at trading horses. And I just want to tell you, Saxon, they've sure shown me a few, and I'm getting tough under the wings myself. I'll never tear again so as you can notice it which means one more trade, learn for yours truly. I can make a living anywhere now trading horses. Often Billy had Saxon out on a spare saddle horse from the stables, and his horse deals took them on many trips into the surrounding country. Likewise she was with him when he was driving horses to sell on commission, and in both their minds, independently, arose a new idea concerning their pilgrimage. Billy was the first to broach it. "'I run into an outfit the other day that's stored in town,' he said, "'and it's kept me thinking ever since. "'Ain't no use trying to get you to guess it, "'because you can't, I'll tell you. "'The swellest wagon-camping outfit anybody ever heard of. First of all, the wagons of Picherino. "'Strong as they make them. "'It was made to order a Puget Sound, "'and it was tested out all the way down here. No load and no road can strain it. The guy had consumption that had it built. A doctor and a cook traveled with him till he passed in his checks here in Ukiah two years ago. But say, if you could see it, every kind of contrivance, a place for everything, a regular home on wheels. Now if we could get that and a couple of plugs, we could travel like kings and laugh at the weather. Oh, Billy, it's just what I've been dreaming of all winter. It would be ideal, and, well, sometimes on the road. I'm sure you can't help forgetting what a nice little wife you've got, and with a wagon I could have all kinds of pretty clothes along. Billy's blue eyes glowed, a caress, cloudy and warm, as he said quietly. I've been thinking about that. And you can carry a rifle and a shotgun, and fishing poles and everything, she rushed along, 
and a good big axe, man-size, instead of that hatchet you're always complaining about. And Possum can lift up his legs and rest. And, but suppose you can't buy it. How much do they want? One hundred and fifty big bucks, he answered. But dirt cheap at that. It's given it away. I tell you that rig wasn't built for a cent less than four hundred, and I know wagon work in the dark. Now, if I can put through the dicker with Caswell's six horses, say, I just got on to that horse buyer today. If he buys em, who do you think he'll ship em to? To the boss, right to the West Oakland stables. I'm going to get you to write to him. Traveling as we're going to, I can pick up bargains, and if the boss will talk, I can make the regular horse buyer's commission. He'll have to trust me with a lot of money, though which most likely he won't, knowing all his scabs I beat up. If he could trust you to run his stable, I guess he isn't afraid to let you handle his money, Saxon said. Billy shrugged his shoulders in modest dubiousness. Well, anyway, as I was saying, if I can sell Caswell's six horses, why, we can stand off this month's bills and buy the wagon. But horses, Saxon queried anxiously, they'll come later, if I have to take a regular job for two or three months, the only trouble with that would be it runs us pretty well along in the summer before we could pull out. But come on downtown, and I'll show you the outfit right now. Saxon saw the wagon and was so infatuated with it that she lost a night's sleep from sheer insomnia of anticipation. Then Caswell's six horses were sold, the month's bills held over, and the wagon became theirs. One rainy morning two weeks later, Billy had scarcely left the house to be gone on an all-day trip into the country after horses when he was back again. "'Come on,' he called the Saxon from the street. "'Get your things on and come along. I want to show you something.' He drove downtown to a board stable and took her through to a large roofed enclosure in the rear. There he led to her a span of sturdy, dappled chestnuts, with cream-colored manes and tails. "'Oh, the beauties, the beauties!' Saxon cried out, resting her cheek against the velvet muzzle of one, while the other roguishly nuzzled for a share. "'Ain't they, though?' Billy reveled, leading them up and down before her admiring gaze. Thirteen hundred and fifty each, and they don't look the weight they're that slick put together.' I couldn't believe it myself till I put them on the scales. Twenty-seven hundred and seven pounds, the two of them, and I tried them out. That was two days ago. Good dispositions, no faults, and true pullers. Automobile broke and all the rest. I'll back them out to pull any team of their weight I ever seen. Say, how they look hooked up to that wagon of ours. Saxon visioned the picture and shook her head slowly in a reaction of regret. Three hundred spot cash buys em, Billy went on, and that's bedrock. The owner wants the money so bad he's drooling for it. Just gotta sell, and sell quick. And Saxon, honest to God, that pair fetch five hundred at auction down in the city. Both mares, full sisters, five and six years old, registered, Belgian sire, out of a heavy standard-bred mare, that I know. Three hundred takes em, and I got the refusal for three days. 
Saxon's regret changed to indignation. Oh, why did you show them to me? We haven't any three hundred, and you know it. All I've got in the house is six dollars, and you haven't that much. Maybe you think that's all I brought you downtown for, he replied enigmatically. Well, it ain't. He paused, licked his lips, and shifted his weight uneasily from one leg to the other. Now you listen till I get all done before you say anything. Ready? She nodded. Won't open your mouth? This time she obediently shook her head. Well, it's this way, he began haltingly. There's a youngster come up from Frisco. Young Sandow, they call him, and the pride of Telegraph Hill. He's the real goods of a heavyweight, and he was to fight Montana Red Saturday night. Only Montana Red, just in a little training bout, snapped his forearm yesterday. The managers has kept it quiet. Now here's the proposition. Lots of tickets sold, and there'll be a big crowd Saturday night. At the last moment, so as not to disappoint them, they'll spring me to take Montana's place. I'm a dark horse. Nobody knows me, not even young Sandow. He's come up since my time. I'd be a rube fighter. I can fight as Horse Roberts. Now wait a minute. The winner'll pull down three hundred big round iron dollars. Wait, I'm telling you, it's a lead pipe cinch. It's like robbing a corpse. Sandal's got all the heart in the world. Regular knockdown and drag out and hang on fighter. I followed him in the papers. But he ain't clever. I'm slow, all right, all right. But I'm clever, and I've got a haymaker in each arm. I got Sandow's number, and I know it. Now, you got to say so in this. If you say yes, the nags is ours. If you say no, then it's all bets off, and everything's all right, and I'll take the harness washing at the stables so as to buy a couple of plugs. Remember, there'll only be plugs, though. But don't look at me while you're making up your mind. Keep your lamps on the horses. It was with painful indecision that she looked at the beautiful animals. Their names is Hazel and Hattie, Billy put in a sly wedge. If we get them, we could call it the Double H Outfit. But Saxon forgot the team and could see only Billy's frightfully bruised body the night he fought the Chicago Terror. She was about to speak when Billy, who had been hanging on her lips, broke in. Just hitch him up to our wagon in your mind and look at the outfit. You've got to go some to beat it. But you're not in training, Billy, she said suddenly, without having intended to say it. Uh, he snorted. I've been in half training for the last year. My legs is like iron. They'll hold me up as long as I got a punch left in my arms. And I always have that. Besides, I won't let him make a long fight. He's a man-eater, and man-eaters is my meat. I'll eat him alive. It's the clever boys with the stamina and endurance that I can't put away. But this young Sandow's my meat. I'll get him maybe in the third or fourth round, you know. Time him in a rush and hand it to him just as easy. It's a lead-pipe cinch, I tell you. Honest to God, Saxon, it's a shame to take the money. But I hate to think of you all battered up, she temporized. If I didn't love you so, it might be different. And then, too, you might get hurt. 
Billy laughed in contemptuous pride of youth and brawn. You won't know I've been in a fight, except that we'll own Hazel and Hattie there. And besides, Saxon, I just gotta stick my fist in somebody's face once in a while. You know I can go for months peaceable and gentle as a lamb, and then my knuckles actually begin to itch to land on something. Now it's a whole lot sensibler to land on young Sandow and get three hundred for it than to land on some hayseed and get hauled up and fined before some justice of the peace. Now take another squint at Hazel and Hattie. They're regular farm furniture, good to breed from when we get to that valley of the moon, and they're heavy enough to turn right into the plowing, too. The evening of the fight at quarter-past eight, Saxon parted from Billy. At quarter-past nine, with hot water ice and everything ready in anticipation, she heard the gate click, and Billy's step come up the porch. She had agreed to the fight, much against her better judgment, and she had regretted her consent every minute of the hour she had just waited, so that, as she opened the front door, she was expectant of any sort of terrible husband wreck. But the Billy she saw was precisely the Billy she had parted from. There was no fight, she cried, in so evident disappointment that he laughed. They was all yelling, fake, fake, when I left, and wanting their money back. Well, I've got you, she laughed, leading him in, though secretly she sighed farewell to Hazel and Hattie. I stopped by the way to get something for you that you've been wanting some time, Billy said casually. Shut your eyes and open your hand, and when you open your eyes you'll find it grand, he chanted. Into her hand something was laid that was very heavy and very cold, and when her eyes opened, she saw that it was a stack of fifteen twenty-dollar gold pieces. I told you it was like taking money from a corpse, he exulted, as he emerged grinning from the whirlwind of punches, wax, and hugs in which she had enveloped him. There wasn't no fight at all. Do you want to know how long it lasted? Just twenty-seven seconds less than half a minute, and how many blows struck? One. And it was me that done it. Here, I'll show you. It was just like this, a regular scream. Billy had taken his place in the middle of the room, slightly crouching, chin tucked against the sheltering left shoulder, fists closed, elbows in, so as to guard left side and abdomen, and forearms close to the body. It's the first round, he pictured, Gong sounded, and we've shook hands, of course, seeing as it's a long fight, and we'd never seen each other in action, we ain't in no rush. We're just feeling each other out and fiddling around. Seventeen seconds like that, not a blow struck, nothing. And then it's all off with a big Swede. It takes some time to tell it, but it happened in a jiffy, less than a tenth of a second. I wasn't expecting it myself. We're awful close together. His left glove ain't a foot from my jaw, and my left glove ain't a foot from his. He faints with his right, and I know it's a faint, and just hunch up my left shoulder a bit and faint with my right. That draws his guard over just about an inch, and I see my opening. My left ain't got a foot to travel. I don't draw back none. I start it from where it is, 
corkscrewing around his right guard and pivoting at the waist to put the weight of my shoulder into the punch. And it connects, square on the point of the chin, sideways. He drops deado. I walk back to my corner, and honest to God, Saxon, I can't help giggling a little. It was that easy. The referee stands over him and counts him out. He never quivers. The audience don't know what to make of it and sits paralyzed. His seconds carry him to his corner and set him on the stool. But they gotta hold him up. Five minutes afterwards he opens his eyes. But he ain't saying nothing. They're glassy. Five minutes more, and he stands up. They gotta help hold him. His legs given under him like they was sausages. And the seconds has to help him through the ropes. And they go down the aisle to his dressing room, a-helping him. And the crowd begins to yell, fake, and wants its money back. Twenty-seven seconds, one punch, and a spanking pair of horses for the best wife Billy Roberts ever had in his long experience. All of Saxon's old physical worship of her husband revived, and doubled on itself many times. He was in all truth a hero, worthy to be of that wing-helmeted company leaping from the beaked boats upon the bloody English sands. The next morning he was awakened by her lips pressed on his left hand. "'Hey, what are you doing?' he demanded. "'Kissing Hazel and Hattie good morning,' she answered demurely. "'And now I'm going to kiss you good morning. "'And just where did your punch land? Show me.' Billy complied, touching the point of her chin with his knuckles. With both her hands on his arm, she shoved it back and tried to draw it forward in similitude of a punch. But Billy withstrained her. Wait, he said. You don't want to knock your jaw off. I'll show you. And a quarter of an inch will do. And at a distance of a quarter of an inch from her chin, he administered the slightest flick of a tap. On the instant, Saxon's brain snapped with a white flash of light, while her whole body relaxed, numb and weak volitionless, sad, her vision reeled and blurred. The next instant she was herself again, in her eyes, terror and understanding. "'And it was at a foot that you struck him?' she murmured, in a voice of awe. "'Yes, and with the weight of my shoulders behind it,' Billy laughed. "'Oh, that's nothing. Here, let me show you something else.' He searched out her solar plexus and did no more then snap his middle finger against it. This time she experienced a simple paralysis, accompanied by a stoppage of breath, but with a brain and vision that remained perfectly clear. In a moment, however, all the unwanted sensations were gone. Solar plexus, Billy elucidated. Imagine what it's like when the other fellow lifts a wallop to it all the way from his knees. That's the punch that won the championship of the world for Bob Fitzsimmons. Saxon shuddered, then resigned herself to Billy's playful demonstration of the weak points in the human anatomy. He pressed the tip of a finger into the middle of her forearm, and she knew excruciating agony. On either side of her neck, at the base, he dented gently with his thumbs, and she felt herself quickly growing unconscious. That's one of the death touches of the Japs, he told her, and went on, accompanying grips and holds with a running exposition. 
Here's the toehold that Notch defeated Hackenschmidt with. I learned it from Farmer Burns. And here's a half Nelson. And here's you making roughhouse at a dance. And I'm the floor manager. And I gotta put you out. One hand grasped her wrist. The other hand passed around and under her forearm and grasped his own wrist. And at the first hint of pressure, she felt that her arm was a pipe stem about to break. That's called the come-along. And here's the strong arm. A boy can down a man with it. And if you ever get into a scrape and the other fella gets your nose between his teeth, you don't want to lose your nose, do you? Well, this is what you do, quick as a flash. Involuntarily, she closed her eyes as Billy's thumb ends pressed into them. She could feel the forerunning ache of a dull and terrible hurt. If he don't let go, he just press real hard and out pop his eyes and he's blind as a bat for the rest of his life. Oh, he'll let go, all right, all right. He released her and lay back laughing. How do you feel, he asked. Those ain't boxing tricks, but they're all in the game of roughhouse. I feel like revenge, she said, trying to apply the come-along to his arm. When she exerted the pressure, she cried out with pain, for she had succeeded only in hurting herself. Billy grinned at her futility. She dug her thumbs into his neck in imitation of the Japanese death touch, then gazed ruefully at the bent ends of her nails. She punched them smartly on the point of the chin and again cried out, this time to the bruise of her knuckles. Well, this can't hurt me, she gritted through her teeth as she assailed his solar plexus with her doubled fists. By this time he was in a roar of laughter. Under the sheaths of muscles that were his armor, the fatal nerve center remained impervious. Go on, do it some more, he urged, when she had given up, breathing heavily. It feels fine, like he was tickling me with a feather. All right, Mr. Man, she threatened balefully. You can talk about your grips and death touches and all the rest, but that's all man's game. I know something that will beat them all. That will make a strong man as helpless as a baby. Wait a minute till I get it. There, shut your eyes. Ready? I won't be a second. He waited with closed eyes, and then softly, as rose petals fluttering down, he felt her lips on his mouth. You win, he said in solemn ecstasy, and passed his arms around her. End of section 48